0: Welcome to Pitch It To Me Podcast, a show about the subjective past, present, and potential future of flesh and blood design. Joel, your aunt is listening to this episode, so you better watch your language, young man. I, however, can say whatever the fuck I want. Today's episode will be about the heroes and heavy hitters, new and old. On Red Pitch, Joel will talk about what is and isn't a hero reprint. On Yellow Pitch, Clark will overcomplicate yet another basic card game concept. And on Blue Pitch, Fuzzy will try to find the upper limit of heroes LSS can print. You can find us across all socials, such as TikTok and Instagram, at pitch Me podcasts
1: I'm Fuzzy.
2: I'm Clark. And I'm Joel.
0: So for today's episode, we're going to be talking all about why everybody hates this Reinar reprint. And by everybody, we mean me and Joel and probably everyone else who plays Brute.
2: Yeah, li- literally it's only... Mat- like I, th- I think every post I've seen so far is like, Oh, no way, Reinar's getting fixed. Like, no,
1: wait, you missed the point. <laughs> we wanted a new hero! <laughs> the yeah. closest I've seen to a positive take on... like. Reinhardt being reprinted is like the people that are like, I'm disappointed, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Just> like- <laughs> yeah. Hey, like, guess what we're going to be saying this episode? <laughs> um,
0: but we're expanding it past that. We're going to be talking about like reprinting heroes in general and kind of what that means and all the different ways it can and should look. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about the future and like what kind of hero reprints they can do in the future and what they are going to look like. It's going to be good.
1: And while we're in turn zero right now, I wanted to bring up a couple designs that were submitted to us through Twitter. So in last week's episode, we talked all about allies and how healthy they are for the game. And I asked the audience for some custom card designs related to allies. And I tried to kind of like post about it on Twitter to get more people involved and listen to the episode. But instead, I was just kind of unclear. So I had the luxury of a couple new designs submitted that have nothing to do with allies but are really kind of cool so i wanted to talk about them at real fox main aka anthony fam aka the guy who was on our podcast a couple weeks ago <laughs> he had AKA, an aka the ageu champion uh-huh. <laughs> he had an idea for a brute fabled gem a yellow pitch gem where when it's discarded to pay the cost of a brute action card you intimidate And when it's pitched, you roll a d6. On a 1 or a 2, you lose 3 health, and your next brute attack gets minus 2. Big downside. On a 3 or a 4, your next brute attack gets plus 2. On a 5 or a 6, you get an action point. Oh, So I like that. I like how there's two different payoffs. And depending on what you want, you might get one but not the other. I like how it has a lot of different possibilities that could happen. And even on a 1 or a 2, you can still go along with the rest of your turn. And I love Fable Gems and Brute getting like, what would it even look like for a Brute? Like a skull? Yeah, like a totem or something. Yeah. That'd be kind of sick. Yeah, actually start building out the lore for Brutes a little bit with it. Yeah.
0: It'd be great.
2: And our other submission, uh, one from a local who I play with a lot, um, a who I consider a very good Dorinthia player, um, very flavorfully came up with a, another Dorinthia specialization, which is like five or six or whatever. But it's a attack reaction uh, that costs two, it uh, gives plus three to your next warrior attack, uh, notably synergizes well with like run a two. That's kind of cool. Uh, and it also gains plus one for each defense reaction played. So I like this because not only does it cost two for a pretty like under rate, like two for three is not super great because normally they're zero or one for plus three, but the plus one for each defense reaction played kind of helps Dorinthia because she gets hosed so hard by... Defense reactions, which everyone has access to, so it's just a really nice push for Dorinthia without actually like altering Warrior in such a way that makes it horrible to play against. Like, there's still like like uh, counterplay to this uh, sort of effect, or uh, other ways you can get around it. So, shout out to uh, Ryan for submitting this card. Thank you both for submitting custom card designs onto our
0: Twitter. We really, really love seeing it. Thank you for that engagement. Um, hopefully we get to see some more ally design submissions that we are going to do a more proper big thing on in a turn zero sometime in the near future. We're really excited to, uh, carry that through. And if you want to hear all about that, you can go ahead and listen to episode 25, which is our allies episode. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this episode with our red pitch. Joel, what do you have for us?
2: I'm so glad you asked Clark. Yeah. So for our red pitch today, uh, Funnily enough, like when we were deciding what to do for our next episode, we struggled to come to an agreement of like what we considered a reprint and like what constitutes that reprint. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be a good idea to start our episode with like what each of the, well, we separated it into like three separate ways you can reprint a hero, what we've seen so far and what it means for each hero in each card pool.
0: Yeah. So this This started with Joel taking, like, a really, really strong stance of, like, yes, they did it! They reprinted Kasai!
1: (laughs) And it's like, did they? Because it's a very different hero ability. You can't play, like, Kasai, make coppers every time you hit and whatever. Like, it's a different hero ability. Like, they didn't actually print Kasai Centauri Sword as an adult hero, but all these Kasai fans can still celebrate their character in this new card form.
2: Yeah, because I think Kasai largely represented like an underrepresented playstyle within Warrior, which is like two one-handed weapons. Like Bolton kind of does it with this uh, Centauri saber combo, but none of the Warriors really were able to play this more mid-rangey game plan where you can block with one or two cards and then still play like a go again card with and you know swing with both sabers. And I think why I was so excited was because not only did everyone tell me Joel. They're never reprinting Kasai. And then they did. Like, it for me, it was just like a flavor win. Like, I was glad that Kasai came back. And I really didn't pay attention so much to it had a different hero ability. I now get to play this hero that makes Valiant Dynamos playable. It's this play style that isn't really supported just yet, that hopefully gets more support in this upcoming set. And that's what I was most excited about. And the hero ability is also pretty sweet. And it like, goes alongside her lore. So I wasn't super upset with it.
0: I mean, it's also still kind of a reprint. When we talked about what type of reprint this is, it's like they're reprinting the top of the card. Right, Like we're getting Kasai. And like the art is the same. Mm -hmm. So like card text and up, they reprinted Kasai. And in a way, they are still making sure that this Kasai still represents the same play style of that mid-rangey, you make your sword attack cheaper somehow. Mm -hmm. It's easier to swing with both swords. Now there's this whole new gold mechanic worked in rather than the copper mechanic, and so that's very different. The card text is different, and probably a lot of the cards that you're going to play are going to be different.
2: For sure. Like, some of the power cards, I think, will stay the same, like Spill, Blood, Blood on a Hand, stuff like that, but I think largely the deck will move in a different direction. Like, even now, people are still iterating upon iteration of Casillas, but um, I think I'll just jump right into uh, what you just said, Clark, how LSS will reprint, like, the top of the card, so to speak, like... Uh, we saw it with both Ko and Kasai. Like, they were both originally yeah. young heroes with titles. Originally, like, they were never going to get adult forms. And now we basically have an entire new hero, but the the top of the card basically stays the same uh, in the first name and then has a different title that indicates, like, a different hero card. You could have called this the Prism treatment before. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like, when, you know, Prism first LL'd, she people assumed that there was going to be a new light illusionist and instead it was just like prison but like sort of depowered in a way and it makes me think about like what lss like wants to accomplish with these like repents or bringing back old heroes like it kind of makes me think like okay maybe this hero it was too strong or too weak so let's give them a little bit of a boost in a certain way or tweak it a little bit so that it's more accessible and not as like Because obviously, LL, you assume like that hero won't be able to be played again in the in the current meta. Mm -hmm. So seeing this new chance uh, is an interesting way to uh, see how they could have like done a redo of that hero.
1: Right, like this living legend system baked into the game. It has a unspoken promise that there will be new heroes in the game across the game's history like you imagine 10 years from now, there won't be Prism. There won't be Reinar. There won't be um, Katsu. There won't be right. Dromai. But when they print a new hero in the game that is Prism, at least by name, you're like, okay, so it's not necessarily going to be an entirely new cast of characters that might bring the favorites back from season one into season four. Like <laughs> <laughs> The show wouldn't feel the same without them. Yeah, But when you're like, losing to prism all the time. And you start to get that feeling of like, I'm kind of over her. I'm ready for her to LL. Mm -hmm. And then they print a new prism. So the card pool is pretty much the same. And the specializations are all still there. You're like, "Uh, flashbacks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, interesting because with that promise of like, your card pool will never be invalidated, the cards that you invest in will never be invalidated. Prism has a specialization that's fairly powerful. Mm-hmm. It would feel pretty shitty if you like invest in like a full, foiled-out playset of the uh, Arclight Sentinels. Yeah, yeah. And then they never print a new Prism again. Mm-hmm. Or even, like, okay, a new Light Illusionist, it, do they still need to work around heralds? Because heralds are a massive part of Prism's playstyle. At the mm-hmm. very least, a massive part of the card pool. Yeah, and then you go, okay, so if it's not about heralds than what is the new light illusionist about and then you're printing new cards and you're really siloing design but then all those old cards aren't usable anymore unless you design the new hero around them and it just gets a little messy right so i understand why there's a lot of this type of reprint where they're just going to reprint the name
1: and the general play style exactly um I like the way that you, I'm so glad you brought that up, Clark. It kind of like highlights this tension between like, if I'm playing a hero, I really want it around forever because mm-hmm. I spent money on these cards. I like this hero in a playstyle. style. There's a reason I brought it up. And for everyone else, they want something refreshing. They want change. They want a game that they can constantly learn and they can play for a long time without it feeling stale. Right. And I'll say
2: as, you know, sort of the boomer in this group, like when I was first started playing... A lot of people got invested in this game off of Prism and Chain. And when both of those heroes left, I know a lot of people, no exaggeration, stopped playing Fab Mm -hmm. because their favorite hero of all time, a deck that they probably spent like a pretty penny because it was like the best deck in the format for a long time, is now defunct. And, you know, they have a second chance to like, sort of like, if they didn't get rid of it, of course you know, reuse this stuff or reinvest while Prism is, like, still bad and has some really bad matchups that's gatekeeping her. But it's, like, a good and a bad thing. Like, not only do you get to bring back a hero everybody loved, but it's, like, this weird, like, secondary market, like, economical shift that you're seeing now with with decks that people don't really consider. And that's something that, that I would just like to highlight because, like, if I were to, like, for instance, I have, like, extended art luminous engines because bolton's my favorite hero if he doesn't if he's not in the metal like if he lls like for some reason like i don't he's not i don't think that'll happen anytime soon but if it does then i'll be out like a lot of money or i'll have to wait till bolton 2.0 comes out like
1: it's it literally be, bolton yeah because there's specializations yeah radiation. yeah
2: exactly because there's specializations so there's literally like no reason to own them after he's gone it just it would just feel bad
1: now
0: but, hopefully the living legend system helps fight Against this, a little bit more because mm-hmm. with the Living Legend system, it's going to give you a place to play those heroes sure. forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Like, you mean the Living Legend format? Yes. The Living Legend format is going to allow you to play your Broken Chain and Prism. And okay, yeah, we can get a new hero in CC that with a completely different name and text and different play style. And all of those cards will still be valid for just this other format. It, eventually, it's going to be like Legacy, right? Right. No one's really
2: playing with the Moxes. Unless you're playing Legacy, right? Right. That's such a good example because I, I still enjoy watching like Legacy and vintage gameplay because it's like an era of magic that just doesn't exist anymore in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And you know that kind of makes me think of the inverse where they kind of reprint or a uh, like carbon copy of the hero. Like we got two prisms, but only one chain, and the other one was obviously Vincent. And people right off the bat noticed that not only I mean it's cool, but It's just a stark difference in power level compared to chain. So this is an example of like reprinting the bottom of the card where you basically just based off of LSS's promise to always like if a hero L's, the a hero with like the same talent and class combo will replace it eventually. So far, we've seen a lot of the same hero like with the top card. And Vincent would like be the first example of okay, we fucked up with Chain. I mean we messed up with chain. <laughs> yeah, watch it, buddy. <laughs> we messed up with chain, so let's give you something else. And it almost seems like it's like purposefully underpowered. So um, that's it, it. It almost seems like LSS's approach to like fix their design mistakes from from their you know younger selves.
1: To be fair, I think we also saw a downplay in power in the new prism. So sure, yeah, it, the downplay in power to me has less to do with like the whether they're bringing a character back or whether they're putting in a new character. But I feel like with Dusk Till Dawn, they're really trying to like give us a set a precedent for what we can expect with heroes coming back into the format or classes, talent types, card pools coming back into the format in the future. And maybe they'll break that precedent. I know Mm -hmm. that LSS does like to change things up and constantly look for what would be the best way to do things in the game, period, not just what we've done in the past. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, really, really telling that
0: they did do both in Dust to Dawn, right? They did the reprint of Prism, but mm-hmm. then they didn't reprint Chain. I also want to mention that it could be a little bit due to story. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they just didn't have plans for Chain, or the plans that they have for Chain, they didn't want to happen right now with mm. what they're doing in the story. Mm-hmm. But they did have prism being very involved for a lot longer yeah like she's yeah. like queen now or something right yeah she's like uh, she's something important advent <laughs> of thrones whatever the fuck that means
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry this isn't the flesh and blood lore podcast yet <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: there, there isn't a lot of lore to work with just yet that's why yeah uh
1: but i i love that point clark like
2: i've heard rumblings like very loose rumblings right that there's going to be a monarch 3.0 um and maybe chain comes back as like a like a demon lord or like a king of like the under like the de- monastery or something like that mm-hmm. i don't really know what happened in dustle dawn i to be tr- truthful i haven't read up on it but the lore implications are a good marker of, of whether or not they reprint a hero like kasai i think a lot of people thought she was like dead in the crucible of war like alongside the other heroes and now we see both kao and kasai in the new set in like this like arena like they'd been trapped on like planet hulk or whatever so. Oh yeah, you know I just realized that <laughs> yeah, right? they
0: both kind of "quote unquote" died in that set, and mm-hmm. they're both now coming back. Yep. Yeah, I think it's also maybe a little bit of um, popularity. Because mm-hmm. I and Prism were popular. Yeah, I, not I, not just the hero, but like the the art, the beat, the Yeah. <laughs> <feet. laughs> I shouldn't have agreed with you. I did that <laughs> on instinct. You just, you just. Told I was yourself. just like, I'm gonna back up my podcast house because that's what I do. <laughs> no, I <shouldn't>
1: <laughs> oh man, those are the twenty best toes in flesh planet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> god goddamn god right, no. <laughs> <laughs> and a Marvel rarity too. Let's go.
0: <laughs> well, Prism has a sculpture. Maybe that's why they reprinted
2: Prism. That's true. Prism has this big, expensive sculpture. <laughs> yeah, they, they did really roll out the red carpet for Prism, for all those Prism stands. Yeah. And now for the, I'll say meat and potatoes. I think that it's a big enough pr- uh, part of the episode. Uh, the full reprint, where we literally just have a copy and paste of the hero. Uh, the first one, I think, was like Azalea and Outsiders, like to try and- And Katsu. And Katsu, yeah, you're right. B- both Azalea and Katsu to kind of <laughs> You almost forgot about my boy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Benji too, technically. Y- yeah. Oh yeah. So there's three <laughs> three reprints in outsiders. <laughs> my goodness, I really did not pay attention <laughs> to that set. Um and now uh the crux of this episode is like the Reinar, like reprinting the entire hero. And it really seems like, in my opinion, like the laziest approach. Like I think a lot of us were expecting like a, a brand new hero, but this approach also lets
1: you give new support to old heroes, uh, sort of like a star of the show treatment. Yeah, like, there's a, this is a draftable set, right? Mm-hmm. And LSS said, there's going to be two warriors, two guardians, and two brutes. And we kind of know that lss does this where they reprint heroes for draft you know Mm -hmm. yeah but i think we all kind especially because they made an announcement that there's going to be lots of new heroes being added to the game this year right in three sets there's going to be 15 plus new heroes that's kind of the information we're going off of Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily have to stick to that i mean like design being what it is and like the production line and things change and decisions are made but um you would we were kind of like kind of expecting like a second new brute and brute players especially have only had like one CC option if we're just talking about like raw brute Mm -hmm. and I can see why they might have been excited for a second or a third especially because mechanologist got an extra three right right yeah mechanologist got three brand new ways of playing their
0: class and brute just got one you could argue that they're not
1: even adding anything all that new to brute. for sure yeah At least from what we've seen so far. Yeah. We're recording this like pretty soon after the the Reiner Mm -hmm. leak. I think it's just also not great for the optics for LSS.
0: Like, just like, why are people upset right now? Mm -hmm. I think it's because Guardian got two brand new heroes and Mm -hmm. Warrior got two brand new heroes. Why does Brute only get one? Why does it always feel like Brute is the stepchild who has to go live in front of the fucking fireplace? Like,
2: yeah, it almost seems like the brute player populace is just like sort of limping to the next set. Like, please let this be the set where I get a sick new brute or a sick new mechanic. And it's just like slap in the face after slap in the face. And I think that's why a lot of people are frustrated, myself included, because dude, I'm tired of playing the same freaking game. Like with a, like, you know, a new swing big or a new like savage beatdown or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. give me a new hero, show us what you got. Like, it's okay to have a push hero that doesn't have room blade or illusion at the bottom. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it's okay, I promise you. Like when we were talking about single class sets, I think
0: brute came up in our conversation as like probably needs some like new mechanics For sure. injected in to really revitalize the class. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember if we actually put it in the episode or not, but it was definitely something that we discussed at the time.
2: Yeah, we were, I think all of us kind of agreed that, you know, Warrior and Brew both needed a lot of love. Like Dusseldon was like a good approach, I guess. Like it was mm-hmm. like a good like appetizer. But- we are getting stuff. I think that's another important thing to note. Sure. Like, it's not like they're not giving us
1: cards, right? Reiner has a new specialization, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: there there are new cards, and it is going to change the builds. But it's very nice to get a new hero with a new silo design and reprint, like full straight reprints. Especially when they're asymmetrical, feels bad in a set because we automatically start making comparisons, right. to what other classes got,
1: right, and other players got. It's kind of like in outsiders though um there was two ninjas in the draft mm-hmm. but one of them didn't have an adult printing at all and they were both reprints like there weren't any new ninjas they just kind of wanted to have ninja in draft or they wanted to expand on the ninja card pool
0: yeah they wanted that it really felt like that was making the hybrid set work Mm -hmm, And so they're like, oh, we had these two that we think will go well together.
1: And then we think this is the nice third class to sort of tie it all together in a nice triangle. Mm -hmm. And I guess they must have wanted to do that with brute and heavy hitters. But they only wanted to introduce one hero into the game
2: for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, I think there's something we're missing, at least from
2: like the... Because right now, there's about 200 plus cards that we still haven't seen. I think spoilers are supposed to start like next week or the week afterwards. Spoiler season actually starts the day that this episode is intended to release, January 16th.
1: So you guys are going to know so much more than us. <laughs> well, at least they're going to start knowing more than us right Oh, now. you're right. Yeah, that is yeah. a Tuesday.
0: Yeah, literally the week that this episode goes out. Mm-hmm.
1: I do think KO is an expansion on like what Brute could do in the past and gives another option for Brute players if they don't want to focus on like Discard and Intimidate as much. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially because of all the limitations that have been put on brute so far becoming like blue sixes you know like ko can run a lot of blue sixes and it's just very siloed to you have to run ko if you want to have this design right and i also think that part of this is the timing you bring up the spoiler schedule yeah if they had announced from the get-go that reinar and five new heroes are entering the game like Mm -hmm. if they had like been really upfront about reinar being in this set as a draftable hero. It's the same Reinar Reckless Rampage from before, and there's going to be five new hero abilities with some recurring yeah. characters. But because they waited until, like, it was the last second-to-last hero revealed, because we just saw Victor after that, mm-hmm. um, then... That's kind of what I think, like, they bait that gives us a baited feeling, you know? Right, right. Very much so. Yeah. I think
0: if Writer was the first one that they announced, mm-hmm. people would be like, oh, there might be reprints. And then every single time a brand new hero design gets released, everyone's excited because everyone's right. feeling good.
1: Oh, this one wasn't a reprint. Oh, this one wasn't a reprint. Like, literally, if they had announced things in a different orders, we might not be doing this episode right now. No.
0: So, yeah, I think that really gets to, like, the crux of this, uh, this pitch, which is, what does it mean to reprint a hero? Mm-hmm. Is it the the text the car the literal hero text like the ability what it goes in that little white section with the nice bolded keywords cuz that's essentially what the Reinar reprint is mm-hmm. is it them reprinting the top of the card because we know that that means that the hero is going to get support in the card pool mm-hmm. that can be a way of like reprinting a hero is giving that specific archetype and playstyle a bunch of support and it also like opens up specializations again mm-hmm. it means that everything's going to be push towards that hero or like was it technically a chain reprint when we got Vincent like which of these are reprints in a way all of them are reprints right on some level none of them are also reprints, except for the Reinar. Reinar is one hundred percent a
2: reprint. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like sort of like a Venn diagram. Like it gets further and further from the center. Like, okay, yeah, this is technically a reprint because it has a name. It, okay,
1: now it's not the name, but it's the same yeah. class and card pool. So, so yeah. now that we've broken it all down, I hope you guys are really confused because we are every time this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So the
2: reason is because we want you to tell us like the mass consensus. Go to the Discord and let us know the Uh, comments, our Twitter, just (laughs) tell us
0: because we can't agree. Yeah, You guys
1: keep using that word wrong. (laughs) We We need a
2: a handsome mediator over the the internet to tell us. Um, But I think that wraps it up for my section. Uh, Clark, would you like to take us into Yellow Pitch?
0: Yes, so for my Yellow Pitch I am going to talk about should new heroes expand or iterate on the card pool design?
1: What do you mean by that, Clark? Well... (laughs) man, <laughs> I'm sorry. In my in the little prep I wrote down, I
0: overcomplicate a very basic idea because it should be basic, right? It's like, oh yeah, new hero. It's like, no, 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 that's not good enough. Does the new hero expand or does it just iterate? And it's like, Clark, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's just a new hero and new cards. Be happy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Word
2: for word, our Discord conversation, We, by need,
0: the, way. <laughs> we need to classify. So I think that a new hero should expand on the card pool and for what the class is trying to do. At the end of the day, it's odd because Flesh and Blood players are oftentimes, they play a hero and that's he- how you hear them talk about it, right? I am a viscerai player, mm-hmm. a Briar player, a Leviath player, but you aren't really. You're playing the... Yes, you're playing that hero, but you're also playing the class and the talent. And as this game gets bigger and bigger and more and more heroes are introduced, you need to kind of remove yourself from that so that you can flex to the new heroes that come in and still be able to return to those original heroes. So I think new heroes should really expand the card pool. I think Teklavasen was a great example of this in Bright Lights. He brought in brand new mechanics. Not only was Scrap interesting, he played very deeply around uh, playable equipment cards that were actions that went inside your deck. It was brand new. It really expanded what the Mechanologist did and was very siloed away from what we expected from
1: Mechanologists before he was printed. I like how Teklovasin really did new things to Mechanologist And you can credit that with his hero card, but also I think all of the evos are really associated with him, or most of them, and throwing in a new card type, basically, equipments in the deck, like, really changed how Mechanologist has the ability to work in the future, and it almost barely has any connection with Mechanologist in the past, namely, the Banish Zone. When you boost a card, you can... Play Net. from the Banished Zone with in, yeah. So it rewards you for playing boost cards. It rewards you for interacting with the old card pool. However, you could just play Bright Lights cards in in. You could just play Evos, scrap cards, neither of which were really a thing for Mechanologist before. So you kind of have the option of playing more of a classic game plan or really leaning into new things. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's such a great uh, distinction. And it, it makes me think of... like. Because Flesh and Blood*, I think also rewards uh, specialists, like people who play one hero for long periods of time. So although you want, like, you want to consider yourself like a warrior player or a runeblade or illusionist player, like if you play one hero for a long time, like for instance, like dash players, I think you know, fuzzy, you've said this before. Mechanologist player or mechanologist players were often just dash players, mm-hmm. and I think that experience of playing dash for so long now lets them pick pieces apart from like the original dash gameplay and uh silo a bit more like do i want to play a bit slower and play with like the banish on with tech do i like items and i want to play with new dash io or do i want to have this like more i wouldn't would you say like value game plan with like max nitro with like the new construct mechanoid uh, kind of value, but he
0: he very much changes it. I actually am happy you brought up Dash.io because Dash.io is what I think is a great example of iterative mm-hmm. gameplay design coming from a new hero because you're running all the great spec to boost cards again. And you're right. trying to do the same thing that most original Dash lists did, which was push as much damage as conceivably possible with like this item sub theme going on. Right which was very much what Dash was originally. So like you really iterated on the same design. Notably, this is also when they reprinted the top of the card, right? We got another Dash card. And so this Dash, this new Dash is very iterative. Didn't really expand the card pool, not adding a ton of brand new things. Yeah, like there's boom
1: grenades and being able to play broom grenade off the top of your deck is like an attack reaction. Mm -hmm. I would argue being able to play at instant speed is an expansion of mechanologist design space. Yeah, it is, but you I, when I look at the lists, the lists aren't too
0: different. You're still running max velocity and twin drive. It's but twin drive also kind of got added to a lot of other things. Twin like,
1: drive feels iterative more yeah. than expansive to me.
0: Yeah. And so when I see the Dashio, it feels like, yes, it is new. Yes, it is different. Of course it should be. Oh my god, if they reprinted a new hero with different card text and it feels the same, they have definitely failed. LSS right. has 100% failed in printing a new hero in that instance. So it should change, but did it really expand? Did it really properly expand the way that mechanologists play their game? And I don't think Dash.io did. I think Teklovacin did. So now coming into heavy hitters and talking about Reinar and KO and like what Brute is going through. I don't think they got an expansion in the same way that Guardian and Warrior did.
1: Not that we've seen yet.
0: Yeah. Yes. So Guardian and Warrior got the new mechanics featured in the set. They have heroes that care about Wager and Clash. In fact, Guardian literally has a hero, one hero design that cares about Wager and another hero design that literally cares about Clash. They are built around those brand new mechanics. Warrior has a hero that is, once again, built very heavily around the wager mechanic. Mm -hmm. I think they are being expanded. They are having a new hero card that is siloed into these new mechanics, whereas Brute does not. Yeah. They, it feels iterative. Beat chest is a new mechanic, right? It's a brand new bolded keyword, Mm -hmm. but does that really change how Brute was playing all that much? We still care about having lots of sixes in our decks, and we need to make sure that we have a card to discard. Yeah. We didn't change a whole lot there.
2: Yeah, because, you know, I think in a few months we'll see, like, right our list that will probably look more or less the same, uh, plus the new spec, plus some of the beat chest cards to make your discards, like, more deliberate. Very reliable, which is really right. important when you finally get the tempo and have, like, a nice
0: big four-card hand. Mm-hmm you don't want a bunch of misses or you really want to be able to select the card that you're discarding so that yeah. you don't screw yourself by the randomness.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, it also makes me think of, for instance, Dorinthia and Bolton were very different play styles. Like Dorinthia really cares about Dawnblade, one big ass uh, Dawnblade swing and then getting another to scale up this weapon, you have scaling. And then Bolton had this like sort of mid-range slash aggro and it introduced attack action cards. So those are two very different designs. And now we have like two more designs in warrior, which feels like a lot. So there's plenty of space to grow. And it, I, it just didn't happen with brew. Like you said, we still care about the same stuff. And it sort of s- seems like there's like an inside joke, like, yeah, haha, we give you blue sixes in one of the heroes and really nowhere else, at least, you know, until we look at the, the whole uh, mm-hmm. card list. But I'm in agreement with you. Like, I I don't think Brute is doing anything like it wasn't doing before. And it it just seems like we won't see anything new from Brute. It will get a lot more consistency, but in terms of like expanding anything, I think it's more just like reiterating. Mm -hmm.
1: I like this framework. And I think it's a nice way to think of how the game is going to look going forward. With every new set, when you're like, say, like you're a Dash player, right? Dash extraordinary inventor and you hear there's a Mechanologist set coming out. Do you want something that's expansive or iterative? Do you want to, at the end of the day, be playing mostly the same way, maybe with a few new card additions, maybe with some cards that are slightly more efficient or attack a little bit differently? Or do you want a very new play style, a refreshing take on Mechanologist, right? With Brute, it looks like it's mostly iterative stuff where if you liked Rhynei Reckless Rampage before, you still will. You'll be playing <laughs> a similar game plan with maybe a little bit more consistency. Maybe you don't even want that. Maybe you're like, oh, choosing what I discard, that takes away from what I liked about Brute. I liked the chaos and it being out of my hands. And I liked being able to play around the randomness, right? So do you guys feel like we could make like a value judgment as to one being better or worse? I think it's definitely a matter of taste, but mm-hmm. I get more excited about expansive design where... There's suddenly new things going on that are a completely new way to play a class or hero. Certainly,
0: I think we are designers by heart, and that's why we built our podcast around Flesh and Blood design. We get excited when we see really fresh, really out there designs, mm-hmm. like when the new demi hero for Leviak oh happened in Dust I lost my We mortgage. did a whole <laughs> episode about it because yeah, yeah. that was so exciting to mm-hmm. us.
2: Yeah, I would. I would also say that I really enjoy the more expansive design space because. For a long time in CC, the only viable brute was Leviah. Why? You have four blue sixes and one-cost cards that don't require discard from hand, mm-hmm. right? That's literally the only thing. Oh, plus Karen Haskin, like some other like nonsensical details. But it almost seems like it's going to flip-flop. So now we will just play Reinar because he makes better use of the cards that are getting printed And will be the premier brute. Maybe KO has like some niche use cases against like whatever the meta develops into. But as far as expansive, like I feel like it's it's a miss and I would expect more or I would want more for brute because that's what's needed to like make the brutes different from each other enough so you're not just playing one Mm -hmm. over over the other. I
0: think Warrior definitely got their expansion For in sure. this set mm-hmm. with Wager being so important and giving this interesting on-hit effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see Brute get their Savage Land set that has it. Yeah, I will say there is a slight caveat to my point here, which is that Ko is a little bit of a Clash hero. Yes. Because he gives plus one to cards on top of his deck. Mm-hmm. Whenever you go to Clash with an opponent six is like the most common number that Brutes run and also one of the more common breakpoints that you'll see in a lot of other classes. Mm -hmm. So if you both flip over a six-powered card, Kale will just win that clash because of his hero ability. Right. It makes him a little bit more clash-oriented, but I don't see the Brute clash cards. Maybe if they print like 20 of them out of the 40 specific Brute-only cards that we're getting, Mm -hmm. or it's the very heavy focus of the hybrid cards that they're going to do... Mm -hmm. I don't really see KO becoming this clash-oriented hero. Right, it needs to all be in
1: the card pool. And there's also a difference between like what we see in draft versus constructed. You know, yes, mm-hmm. like how Ninja and Assassin have their da- dagger design space, but like a lot of the dagger support doesn't see play in like Katsu lists, maybe Benji lists but I don't really see a lot of it in assassin lists either. I guess flick knives would be like something that counts for that. For sure. Probably the closest, but yeah, you're, you're definitely right there. So before we like leave, like whether iterative is better than expansive, remember that like, while people are going to get more excited over expansive design. You have to have iterative design is using this framework that you're positing Mm -hmm. Clark. Like iterative means we are fleshing out ideas rather than creating new ones. When we are this beaten chest thing is a fleshing out of what Brute can do, like being selective and saying, if I've discarded, I get this benefit. I don't have to discard a new card Mm -hmm. and fleshing it out, like creates more options within an idea where like there's lots of, I don't want to say half-baked because that sounds negative, but Mm -hmm. like there's lots of stuff in Flesh and Blood that is waiting for more support. For sure. I would put aim counters in this part, right? Yes. When they made aim counters, it was cool and people were excited for it. And it is cool. And there is support for it. But there's still more to be done with aim counters. And we can't only make new ideas. We have to go back and make and iterate upon old stuff in the past.
0: Yeah. I love that you brought that up. There's also like, different builds of the same hero, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We love talking about our executive producer, Talon, because we hang out with him a lot, and he's constantly talking about all the little tweaks that he's doing to Riptide Mm -hmm. to build Riptide differently. That's good. That's very healthy for the game. So iterative design is very important because it allows people to pick and choose different ways of building their hero, and that's healthy. And if a hero is weak, like Reinar is you would prefer the iterative design. For sure. I lo- I think you brought that up at the beginning of the pitch, Fuzzy. Like, when a hero is weak and that's who you're playing, you want it to be iterative because you want support for your hero. Mm-hmm. That's definitely what It depends Levia what you thought. want,
1: right? Yeah. Like, if you want a new Reinar that is literally a different card with a different hero ability, a reset at zero living legend points because you're tired of this old Reinar, that might be what you as a player want, right? Because you're a fan of the character, but you want a stronger version of them hmm I remember Joel, you wanted something similar with Leviah when Dustfield was announced, right?
2: Yeah, I was um, you know, we got the basically a new hero, but you know, she obviously didn't have any text for a long time. It's just like, don't die, pretty much. yeah, it's like any anything above that, even if like one other text, like, hey, these cards get a buff or something, anything would have been fine, but um we didn't get it, we got more support, so she's like semi-fixed, which is great. But again, it's uh, like a give and take with every player. Yeah, it definitely felt like that was an
0: instance where they chose like to be iterative and to quote unquote reprint the hero because they like did reprint Leviya. I think, in the packs. like you could pull her from packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we got some new cards that let her play differently, and not all of them are used and but a dummy hero. And <laughs> yes, we did get the dummy hero. Thank you, fuzzy. <laughs> But the iterative design very much helps fix heroes that are struggling, and I can definitely see why maybe they wanted to start with that before they did a big expansion. Because if we got some brutes that worked with brand new mechanics that the old brutes will not work well with, then I think brute players would have been just as equally upset. Because they would be like, well, well, now what? Reinar's chopped liver? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And so like, if it was really expansive, like a Teclovaston
1: situation, I feel like we would still find something to complain yeah, oh, about yeah, yeah, for sure <laughs> for sure there's so That's, much to do with brute like it's oh my it's god hard for them this game right. there's so much to do within flesh and blood mm-hmm, it's yeah. so easy to disappoint people like oh we're not getting this yet you know mm-hmm. but it it
0: is awesome because that means that there are so many opportunities and so absolutely definitely asking you the uh listener i want you to think about like your hero do you want your hero to Get new support, or would you rather see a fresh new way of using your cards?
2: That's a good question. I'm going to be thinking about that too. I might even just start off the conversation because there's plenty of heroes where I'm like, man, if we just had like more of this or less of this in like a different direction, it would be so much better.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. I'll let you get into the comments type of little thing.
0: You
1: can pause right now. That's okay. But we are going to have to move on to the episode over to our blue pitch. Yeah, I've really been enjoying the conversation so far. I feel like we've been talking for a long time, so I think I'm going to keep my Blue Pitch shorter. So what I want to discuss in Blue Pitch is the amount of heroes in the game overall. Because when we talk about Reinar entering the Heavy Hitters Limited scene in absence of another new brute, it means that there's one less hero in the game, period. There's five new heroes being thrown into the mix instead of six. In the quote-unquote meta, that is all playable heroes in the game. In the game right now, pre-heavy hitters, there are 20 legal CC heroes, like the ones that were printed minus the ones that hit Living Legend. So there's five new ones being thrown in. That's literally a 25% increase, really slightly more than 25% in the number of possible heroes that you could come up against in a tournament. Actually, it's exactly 25%. (laughs) 25% increase in the possible number of heroes that you could come across in a tournament when we're talking about a variety of play styles variety of game plans the fact that you need to come up with a sideboard for your deck and you craft your sideboard based on who you could possibly come up against right you look at like in a competitive environment you're typically going to look at what heroes are being played and are active but in a lot of flesh and blood events that i've seen that i've been to that i've played in there's a really wide variety of heroes at the table. You'll have lots of onesie twosies. You'll have like a tournament of like 25, 30 people where like the most represented hero only has like five or six players, which is kind of insane to me in a competitive game. It's something I'm really not used to seeing. I'm kind of used to magic. The gathering where like it's at least 50, 75% are using the same deck with basically the same list.
2: Mm-hmm. That Oh, that's a really good point. I think there's, so much more skill expression and not only personality expression through their hero, and it translates into competitive play. Like, yeah, the best deck might be Dromai, but I want to counter the meta with my favorite hero, so I'll play, you know, something else.
1: Lots of room for people to express themselves in Flesh and Blood. And across that, there's... Eventually, there's a point where there's too many, right? Mm. When does the game get too complicated to be approachable? When are we at that point already? I kind of feel like as if you're just getting into competitive flesh and blood, one of the steepest parts of the learning curve is the first time you sit across from Dorinthia, the second time you sit across, from (laughs) (laughs) the first time you sit across from Katsu, the first time you sit across Icelander rotated out already, but she was a really great example of like, okay, what are you doing? Okay. What do I do? (laughs)
0: I mean, part of that is also, I think, uh, there's a lot of very skilled players in Flesh and Blood right now. I think the skill of Flesh and Blood players are, is very positively skewed. Like, I don't think it would be as big of a deal if there were players in more of a middling skill level as well to, like, help them get up there. Instead, I think a lot of Flesh and Blood players are pushed into the... Like, it's positively skewed graph. There's a lot of players in the upper part and a lot less players in the
1: middle and to the lower half. And isn't that like unhealthy for a card game? Wouldn't you want like lots of newcomers to the scene, lots of new talent, fresh places? And that would be like a healthy card game, right? I mean, it is a really fun competitive
2: landscape because there's like now you're seeing, like you said, Fuzzy, there's way more heroes that you don't normally see uh, being played at a competitive event. But in terms of the game's growth, like, like the accessibility of it, like going to LGSs, like, you know, here in SoCal, we're blessed with like, you can play flesh and blood every day of the week, but other places you have to drive maybe an hour or mm-hmm. you can't even drive at all to like the nearest LGS that supports flesh and blood. So yeah, it is unhealthy in a way, but I think not
1: I don't think it translates as much to the competitive landscape. I see what you're saying. Um to kind of use your example, Joel, if I think in this game who you sit across from has a very large impact on how your game goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm playing Katsu and I sit across from Bravo, that's a very different game than if I sit across from Dromai, which is very different than if I sit across from Bolton, which mm-hmm. is very different than if I'm playing against Azuri. Yeah, They're just all different games because you have to have a different game plan. You're getting attacked in different ways. You Different strengths and weaknesses that you have to work around and exploit. And the tone of my armory can be very different depending on what heroes other people brings. So with more heroes in the game, there's a higher variance of what my armory experience is like for that reason. I will say that in fighting games,
0: we talk about this as like the point where execution starts to matter. Mm -hmm. Like there is a lot of skill expression in fighting games that doesn't really come out until you need to really start being like, oh, I know I need to be blocking here, or I need to take these options, or these are my mix-ups. This is how I can change my game plan into this specific matchup. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I think that there is a lot of that in Flesh and Blood. Uh, What is it? I've played against your Katsu so many times, Fuzzy, but I'm still sitting down across Katsus and learning about the katsu Leviathan matchup Mm -hmm. to this day. And that shows that there is a lot of skill expression in the matchups. And I think that's where it's healthy. The issue is getting people to the point where they start being aware of, oh, I can change things up and this is how I need to.
1: I also feel like fighting games are notoriously unapproachable. Like, if we're talking about, like, Street Fighter, Guilty Gear, like, these are games that I have gone a long time not mm-hmm. touching because I didn't feel like I could train myself to be able to play them. And I just yeah. recently started picking up Street Fighter Six. And it's a hard game. I am okay at it, but there's a lot that I don't know. And I definitely don't think I could play it at a competitive level. I don't even think I could go to a club like a Street Fighter Armory, which doesn't <laughs> exist. But <laughs> if it did, like, I, I feel like I'd They be... call those tournaments. In fact, locals. I feel like I get outclassed at locals. Anybody that cares about the game, I feel like I'd lose to them. That's mm-hmm. kind of the level that I'm at with it. And I feel like with, street, with Flesh and Blood- I care a lot about the game. I'm making a dang podcast about it. <laughs> but I'm not I spend so much time thinking about Flesh and Blood and I have a hard time imagining someone just kind of picking up the game casually and feeling comfortable with the amount of information that's out there for them to learn. Mm. And but I also understand how engaging and enticing that is. Yeah. Like to tell you that how deep this game is and you can spend your entire like hobby bandwidth <laughs> on Flesh and Blood. <laughs> Thinking about it constantly, learn something new every game you play. It's a very rewarding game for that reason, mm-hmm. and a big part of that is the hero depth. So many different heroes means there's a lot to learn, a lot of rewards to find. Not only that, uh,
2: you know, we're going into a meta where there's like a couple of really strong decks. Like Dromi, obviously, is like the, the number one offender, but it's not shaping the meta as it has like with the previous uh, few metas, like you know, Lexi, Starvo, Chain, all that stuff. Yeah, you're only, like,
1: probably going to have to face Dromai in a tournament.
2: Right, so it's so much more open, which which makes it really hard to tech for anything specifically other than Dromai. So you kind of have to, like, sort of, like, do a shotgun spread of, like, okay, this matchup I'm, like, okay into. Maybe I add, like, one or two of these cards. Like, it's very open, and I think that's what makes it really enjoyable to play against. But a little overwhelming, too, because, like, man, there's a lot of heroes in this game. I forgot. 20. Becoming 25.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And it's only gonna get bigger. They're adding a lot more new heroes. At right? least
1: at armories, in practice, you are fighting the same people over and over again, and people aren't not aren't necessarily super likely to change their decks all the time. So when you go to your locals, you're like, yeah, I'm ready for Riptide, because there's a local Riptide player, and I'm ready for that tryhard that plays Trombine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it's also just nice because more heroes means more opportunities to play the game and more different ways of playing the game. Yeah. I would love to be the guy who has like five or six different up-to-date CC decks that feels good to play. Yeah. that That's where I would like to be. Because then I can go like, well, this week feels like a like a Victor week. Ah. <laughs> I crack out Victor, and then it's like you know what? I'm going to do
1: viscerai I know he's not great right now, but I want to play Viseray this week. You mm. know what the crazy thing about Flesh and Blood is? Like your first deck is expensive. It's like three or four hundred dollars. Yeah. But your second Flesh and Blood deck is maybe only a hundred. After that, yeah. that's what I was
0: saying in the in the yellow pitch of like
1: become more of a class player
0: than a hero player because it's a better job. I'm not even talking about class in.
1: cards. I'm talking about Command and Conquer's Crown of Providence, Spinal oh, Spring yeah. Tunic. Like, yeah. once you have those... It is true that you still have to spend a little bit of money on your like to actually fill out like another deck, but it's like a hundred dollars, which is like approachable for some people. Like maybe every other month you buy a new CC deck, like that doesn't yeah. sound too bad, right? Yeah, I, like I guess it depends on
0: how legendary their equipment sweat set is. Yeah. Sure, sure. If there's a lot of legendaries there. You're
2: uh, you're having a hard time. Like there, um, there's a lot of like community leaders that when I first started playing, like you know uh, Dennis Fan, I'm sure both of you know him. A lot of lo- locals around us know him, but. Uh, You know, when I started playing the Holy Trinity was Arcanine Skull Cap, Fiendal Spring Tunic, and Command and Conquers. you're set. You're Mm -hmm. golden. Now Arcanine Skull Cap has, like, fallen out of favor, and you can replace it with, like, Crown of Providence. I think that's, like, the best generic headpiece to date. So, again, Holy Trinity. You buy your crown, you buy your Fandals, you buy your uh, Command and Conquers. you're pretty much set for any deck. Um, They can go in almost any deck other than, like, maybe Mechanologist or, like, Wizard. I don't Mm -hmm. know, but for the most part like like you said first deck is really expensive
1: but everything after that is smooth sailing you can you're pretty free to experiment yeah it's kind of to say that just to reiterate it's not that hard to switch between different heroes in flesh and blood compared to maybe some other card games
0: yeah um and yet yeah, at the same time it does feel a little Rough because you're gonna be using so many different cards across all the different sets and all the
1: different heroes. Mm-hmm. What would you guys say is too many heroes? That question does kind of assume we haven't hit it right yet, right? I it think It does. I have think, we already hit it? <laughs> I think 20 is fine. I don't think people are really complaining that much about how many different heroes there are. Um, but I will say the entire time I've been playing Flesh and Blood, there has been a lot of meta diversity. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a very dominant meta where one hero is the like only hero you can play in order to win an event. Even like Lexi meta. Lexi felt strong, but like Dromai got just as many points. Y- yeah. Or like she was still beatable. Um it wasn't like Starvo meta where you had to play Starvo. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or something that counters Starvo.
0: Right. Yeah. Um so Well, you're you're thinking competitively. I kind of want to return to that. Like, what about the new player learning curves? Can you, like,
1: step away from the game, come back two months later, sit down and know what you're playing against? I feel like people I know do that. Like, Valerio, I was playing him in the Armory the other day, and he's kind of playing the same Bravo deck that he's been playing for a while and having a good time, and he beat me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, I think it's, like, maybe four heroes
1: per class. But then how many classes can be in the game? Because eventually, like, in 10 years' time... I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the interesting conversation to have
0: is, like, because I think classes are going to introduce more complexity than heroes, per se. And I think eventually we might need to end up doing magic where we don't have only eternal formats. Right now, we have only eternal formats where, like, there's no card rotations. If we're thinking 10 years down the line... I don't think we can sustain that level of a card pool in good, efficient
2: competition. I disagree because, like the, they're getting a bit more aggressive with the Living Legend format, and I think, like we've already talked about it in a previous episode, where, uh, you know, if the Living Legend system was what it is now during the Lexi meta, like she would have el- like Lexi would have out el- el- much quicker, or there would have been like more um, action from LSS to either uh, ban or nerf something. Uh, and when you scale it, when you bring it to a scale of like ten years, we're still gonna have like worlds, nats, pro tours. I think pro, two pro tours a year now. That's a lot of points being circulated into the living legend um,
1: like system. It sounds like you agree with Clark that there the rotation is really good for the game and is something that will become a stale uh, uh foundation of the regular game. Well, I think he agrees with like. the the
0: baseline, the general idea of, like, rotation is going to be necessary, especially when we start looking years and years down the line.
2: No, that's not what But
0: what I'm saying is, like, rotating card pool, and he's saying more, like, just the LLing of heroes. Yeah, I
2: I do not think the card pool needs to be rotated. I think it'll be fine because as we get new hero designs, they're going to want different cards from different, like, card pools. And as we get, like, because eventually... These heroes that are at the very bottom, like Arachne, Bolton, Leia, stuff like that. Those heroes are going to LL too, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna have to use like a new uh, Light Warrior, and like maybe 10 to 20 percent of the Light Warrior cards won't be usable in the new one, vice versa. Multiply it across all the classes, all the heroes. I think ultimately, with as long as we like, pay really good attention to like uh, trends and and how heroes LL and how quickly they LL. Like I think it'll be mostly fine. And it it would make the game more accessible. Because right now, as we've all said so far, Flesh and Blood is a very competitively dense game. And making it more accessible by keeping the format completely open, letting you be a specialist, and knowing that eventually this hero will just ban himself so that your hero will have... Maybe not, like, be at the top, but it will have, like, more meta share. I think that will, like sort of self-correct maybe i'm just coping really hard right now but i just (laughs) i think i just disagree as a whole of like needing to rotate things like it's a problem for other card games because there's more power creep there's more like or there's less excuse me uh deck diversity within competitive metas that we're just not having an issue with in in flesh and blood
1: Mm -hmm. even with a smaller card pool and a smaller sample size i think that's about all i wanted to say in blue pitch I've really been li- liking how this episode is. I feel like we had a really good conversation, but I think we've got to wrap up, everyone. Yeah. Aww. Let's go on to our Arsenal Zone. Yay!
0: <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, our Arsenal Zone is the section of the podcast where we talk about cards that we've been thinking about. They can be cards that have been winning us games, cards that we've been pulling in packs, or cards that we never want to see on the fucking table ever again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fuzzy, which one do you have for us? I have neither. None (laughs) of the three? But those are the three options. I have a card that I cut from my list. (laughs) Ooh. And I like this card, but I'm cutting it, so I wanted to honor it by talking Mm. about it in our podcast today. Real. That card is Twin Twisters. This is a card that was first printed in Everfest, and it was reprinted in Outsiders, I really like how they expanded on the twin twisters line when they printed spinning wheel kick in outsiders, because previously this wasn't a combo card. It was just a cool card that kind of works with Benji and they turned it into a combo starter. Can you imagine ninja cards being combo starters in the future when they aren't right now? Crazy. Yes, Yes, I can. (laughs) Like imagine like a double strike being a combo starter. Oh my God. No, 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 No. what is your problem, bro? (laughs) I like Ninja, and I love it when cards say, hey, did you play this one specific card? Okay, then you get a bonus. Yeah, that's really <laughs> cool, but why'd you bring up fucking Double Strike? <laughs> because like, I like the idea of them turning things into combo starters in the future, like Twin Twisters. Good so card. <laughs> Twin Twisters cost one. It says choose one, Twin Twisters has either when this hits, your next attack, this combat chain gains plus one, or you can just give Twin Twisters plus one. As go again no matter what, swings for three by default. So it could be a one for four go again, that blocks for two, or you could get spicy and give it an on hit where your next attack gets plus one instead. It works really well in Benji lists when it's yellow or blue, because you can get in with the Benji effect and then guarantee the on hit, and then your next attack actually doubles up with Benji's hero ability. Pow pow pow, synergy, combo combo. Wait a minute. That's a combo. (laughs) And I've got one copy to sign for each of you. Let's go. I'm giving you a red copy. Wait, a red? It's playable? Yeah. Yellow's playable in Benji. I was gonna say yellow and blue are technically more playable. No red is playable. I mean maybe not in competitive ways. Not in Benji. (laughs) No no no, but like I was playing it in Katsu because it's nice. Mm -hmm. Spinning wheel kick is played in Katsu, period. And, like, Twin Twisters only makes it better. Mm -hmm. One for you and one for you. Thank Thank you, you, Fuzzy. fuzzy. That's going in my fuzzy binder. Clark, what do you
0: have for us? So, for my card, I want to talk about Outpace. So, in the Discord... Uh, we have been playing Fable. The official Pitch It To Me
1: podcast Discord. <laughs> yeah,
0: very, very diegetic, just uh, Discord pitch in there. Um, yeah, in the Discord we've been playing Fable, which is this really fun little online game. It's very silly, but there's a daily card where you get to, like, guess what flesh and blood attack it is.
1: It's like Wordle, but flesh and blood.
0: Yeah, and rather than the letters, you're trying to guess the four numbers on the card. The pitch value, the cost, the attack, and the block. Um... And so it's been a lot of fun. We've been enjoying it. It keeps everyone showing up to the Discord like every single day, which is (laughs) nice. And (laughs) uh, Outpace was today's. And it was great because everyone was kind of shitting on Outpace. as like, ew, draft chaff, bleh, patooey.
2: And uh, that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So that's it.
0: That's the card I've been thinking about because it's a card that showed up a lot today.
2: Yeah, I think mine was like six or seven moves, which is strange because I drafted it quite a bit. So I should know the art by now, but I don't. <laughs> Three mm-hmm. is pretty solid. Like
1: that's like your... Three is insane. Three is like the best. Three mm. is an attainable best. Two is a technical best, <laughs> but you have to get really lucky. Yeah. Two, you're cheating. I know you are.
0: Almost, yeah. <laughs> or you do the same start every single time, and then you're like, oh my God, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Four is pretty good. Seven is trash.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: You're trash. Thanks.
2: I had not reminded myself yet that I was trash today. That was my All right. daily reminder. Joel, what's your card? I'm glad you asked, Clark. So, um, obviously, one of my favorite heroes is getting, well, printed, reprinted. We'll leave that uh, for later. But Kasai is coming back. So, for today, um, I'd like to talk about Blood on Her Hands. So, this card is a Kasai specialization. Let's go. Uh, it's a three block yellow pitch. Uh, and as an additional cost to play it, you sacrifice, or excuse me, destroy any number of copper. Uh, You control, free copper, uh, destroy this way, you choose a mode. And there's only three modes. There's target one hand gets plus one while attacking this turn, has go again while attacking this turn, and may attack twice this turn. And you can choose each mode twice, so you can you know choose both of your sabers, and it obviously has go again. Now, listeners, I know you might be thinking, Joel, Kasai can't make copper anymore. Quit coping. I mean, you still have copper making cards like Spoils of War, uh... There's High Striker now, where you can get six immediately. Like, there's still ways to get copper and like outline skirmish, of course. And if you do, like, there's a new really sick combo. Like, you don't even need courage blade hold it anymore. Now, off of a single single gold or like Organian tome, you can draw a card, play blood on her hand, sacrificing six coppers, and your sword attacks are free because you drew a card. So now you can if this is a two-card 12, because mm. each swing. Each sword <laughs> swings twice for three damage, unbuffed with go again, and, and you know, can attack twice. That's 12. And then you can now <laughs> attack with your soldiers or your Centauri cell swords for like one resource each. So if like, if you pitch a blue for a gold and then grab another blue and you swing with like four little dudes plus four sabers, that's a lot of numbers. It's a, like, it's a combo I'm really excited to see in heavy hitters. And just a card I miss playing in general because I played her a lot in Blitchy LL'd. So I was just thinking about this card recently with another uh, good warrior player that I know. So yeah, really excited to play
1: Blood on Her Hands and, and Heavy Hitters. I like the idea of like, on hi- high striker, on hit make me six copper. And you're like, well, then I'll just block it. But you're playing against a warrior who has all of the reprise cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and attack reactions. <laughs>
2: And Kasai's new ability lets you like banish two reds, two yellows from graveyard to make your next hit uh, create a gold token. So there's way more on-hits and way more reasons for you to fuck up and let me get my price triggers. So super excited about it.
0: That's it for our Arsenal Zone. Thank you all for listening so much. Uh, before you go, we would like to remind you guys of a question that we said in the episode, which is, For your hero, would you rather see them get printed with some iterative cards that expand their card pool, or would you like to see something that expands the card pool for the class altogether and find new ways of playing the game in your hero? Let us know what you think. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye-bye now. Toodles.
1: Pitch It
2: To Me podcast is hosted by Joel Racinos, Clark Moore, and Fuzzy Delp. Our executive producer is Talon Stradley. Our logistics coordinator is John Farkas. Music is produced by Dylan Hulse. Logo is designed by Han V. And our sound mixing is done by Christopher Moore. Last but not least, thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Be sure to give us a follow on your favorite social media platform
1: at Pitch It To Me podcast.